Welcome to the show guys, this is Athlete Maestro and the goal with every single episode of this show is to help you break your mental and physical limitations in sports and also learn about the business aspects of sports. So I realized guys, you know that many of the initial episodes, so interview episodes that I've done on the show, so if you're using a platform you know, like um, iTunes or Apple Podcasts to, to listen to the podcast, you know, I think you can only load maybe 500 episodes or, or something of that nature. So I realized that there might be episodes or interviews that I've done in the past because this is episode 728 of Athlete Matters. So I realized, right, that there might be episodes in the past that you might have missed, you know, so uh, you, even if you load your Apple podcast, you know, and you go scroll down to the end, you know, that episode might not be there. So I'm creating something called a select edition where the very initial episodes, interview episodes of the podcast, I would replay them for you just in case you missed out on that episode. And of course, you want to listen to it as a first timer so and of course for you who have listened to it before and of course you want to refresh your memory on many of the things that you learned in that particular episode you know so i'm, call, I'm calling this the selects edition of the show so i learned this from eventual millionaires podcast you know hosted by jamie tardy you know where she goes back in time many of the episodes you might have missed you know she brings them back for you to listen afresh for the very first time i was like hey why not amazing thing to do for the Athlete Maestro podcast as well, because there's so many episodes in the past that I know some people have never listened to. So on this select edition, I'm replaying you my interview with Alan Stein Jr. You know, so Alan is the guy who worked with the who is who in NBA as a physical performance coach, getting them ready. Now, of course, he has transitioned, you know, into public speaking and all of that. But this is a guy who trained the likes of Kevin Durant, has worked with Kyrie Irving. He has been in the same space as the late great Kobe Bryant, Steph Curry, and many of these basketball elite players. It was such a special episode and it was the first episode that I ever did on the show that was an interview, you know, so it was always a solo show, you know, but I interviewed Alan and it was the first interviewee on the podcast. So I want to replay that episode for you and, of course, ensure that you absolutely get the nuggets from everything that we discussed. This episode, guys, is brought to you by my free email course, How to Build Your Mental Toughness as a Young Athlete. So you're a young athlete, you know, you just started hearing this thing about the mental game, about the mental game. Maybe it's confusing, maybe it's not, but you want to dive straight in. This free email course is for you. Athletemaestro.com forward slash mental toughness. Athletemaestro.com forward slash mental toughness. When you're done with that, Come back to this episode where I replay my interview with Alan Stein Jr. All right, guys, welcome everyone back to the Athlete Maestro podcast. And my guest today is Alan Stein Jr. And um, it's interesting because if there's anyone that people would kind of look up to in terms of being in the sports performance space, advising athletes, you know, this is one of the guys that we would look up to as a sports performance coach and also an expert in athletics performance training. Alan, thank you for joining me today. And of course, sparing the time as well. Oh, absolutely. My pleasure. It's great to connect with you. Oh, great. So his book is out, Raise Your Game. And because I know that it will be kind of difficult 
for athletes on this side of the pond to get access to the book, you know, I'm going to be giving away five free copies of that book to my audience. So if you're going to be interested in that book, which I advise that you should be, because loads of nuggets that you get from that book, send me a mail to at athletemaster.com. And of course, I would send you that book personally from me, which of course would help your athletic career. The first thing, guys, uh, that I want to discuss with Alan today, and I'm sure Alan is excited as well to discuss this, is in the book, and I've read that book twice now, Alan, because every time there's always something new to discuss. What was your motivation behind writing the book? I think we should all start with that. I've been incredibly fortunate to have some really amazing opportunities and experiences to work with elite-level players and to be mentored by elite-level coaches. And uh, I just wanted to, to really share a summation of everything I've learned over my career and, and lessons and things that have impacted me really just wanted to pay that forward and, and share that with others. Uh, as I realized, I was able to have opportunities and that was really the, the main reason for the book was just to sh share everything that I've learned uh, in my career at this point. Oh, fantastic. You know, I like the way that you talk about it. One of the things that you talk about in the book, which I want us to talk about quickly, is where you talk about, you know, talent not being all that. Now, I'll give you a little, you know, throwback, if you want to call it that, about my story, my involvement in sports. And what kind of like led me to where I am today in terms of what I'm doing, trying to help athletes and all of those things. You know, growing up, I believe that, you know, talent was everything, which many young African athletes would believe as well. Once you're good, everything will fall into place. Once you have the talent, you know, forget about any other thing that you might need to do in terms of, you know, mental aspects or other aspects, coming up with a strategy, having a plan, all of those things. As long as you're good, you're going to get found out. People would know where you are. They would know how to access you. And of course, riches, so to speak, are on the other end of the pond. But we talk about in the book how talent is not everything. Can you expound on that a little bit? Yeah, talent is just one piece of the overall puzzle. And, and it's an important one, um, you know, but I guess we can look at it from two different vantage points. One, I mean, in transparency, if you have zero talent, then the other things don't matter very much because you're never going to be elite in that specific area. And remember that talent... Uh, it, it's not universal. It's somewhat compartmentalized. Someone can have, you know, tremendous talent uh, in, in something like soccer, but then not have any talent when it comes to mathematics or music. So it can be very compartmentalized. Uh, so you have to have some talent without question, but it's, it's, it's not, a, it's not a, an all or nothing thing. It's, a, it's on a sliding scale. Mm. And then when you get to the point where you have a lot of talent, well, if you're around other players that also have a lot of talent, then, it's, then everybody's equal. So now what's going to separate you or make you different? And that's when it's those other things. That's when it's how coachable are you and how good is your attitude and how hard do you work and do you have good habits? That's when those things start to matter. So when you, you look at some you know, players like the NBA, um, you know, all of those guys have talent. Yeah. So that's not what separates them. Now you have to separate yourself through those other things. And as I mentioned that it's kind of on a spectrum, you know, if you have a little bit less talent than, than say your competitor, then it's even more important for you to have a great work ethic and a great attitude and great habits. Um, and, and conversely, and, and I don't say this to condone it, but we've yeah. seen it time and time again with really elite players, if you have more talent than everyone else, you can sometimes get away with not having the best attitude or not working as hard as you should. And, but ultimately, if you choose that path, there's a ceiling on how good you'll be. And when you look at the, the elite of the elite in any sport, I mean, whether you're talking about 
you know, Tom Brady in American football or, or Cristiano Ronaldo in soccer or LeBron. Those guys have immense talent but they also have tremendous work ethics, great attitudes, great habits. They're the perfect storm, huh. and that's why they're the best. But there's no question in my mind that there are other players out there that have as much talent as Tom Brady, as Ronaldo, and as LeBron, but they didn't have or don't have those other characteristics as well, and that's why they're not as successful. Uh, yes, valid, very valid points. Now, obviously, you work with Kevin Durant. Uh, you've had the opportunity to watch Kobe Bryant train, see Steph Curry train. You've worked with Victor Oladipo as well, who is, you know, my personal person. Really like him, watch him from afar. And the great things that he's doing now, having switched teams, Indiana Pacers and all of that. I also imagine, Alan, that you would have worked with so many other athletes who obviously are not as famous as these guys. What is one question? that most of these athletes always ask you, Alan, can you help me with this? Can I, how can I improve on this? This is something I'm struggling with. What's one of those things that you've seen that always keeps recurring in terms of the questions that they ask you? Well, I love the way that you frame that because you're right. Even though the players that you mentioned, those are the ones that get most of the notoriety because they're famous and they've, they've you know, matriculated up to the upper 1%. Yeah. But I mean, I've worked with thousands of players in my career and 99% of them no one's heard of because they're not famous. Um, but I'm so proud to say that so many of those players ended up becoming the best player that they were capable of. And that can goes back to the talent. So, you know, everyone's goal that's listening to this should be to maximize their talent to the best of their ability. And if you can do that, yes, if you still fall short, yes, if you still get cut from the team or you, you don't get to make the starting team or your career ends early, of course there's going to be some disappointment because you wanted something so bad and it never happened. But as you get older, at least I've learned from my own life experience, you'll be able to look back and you'll be at peace knowing that you did everything you could and that you were the best that you could be. And, and when you do get older, you, yes, absolutely. And you will get some peace in knowing that, you know, the, I believe the biggest regrets people have is when they look back and, and say the, you know, woulda, coulda, shoulda, mm. uh, if I would have done this, or I could have done this, or I should have done this, maybe things would turn out differently. So uh, really it, it, everything always stems around players being the best they can be. And that's, I guess, kind of the generalized question that, that kids would always come to me for is, you know, what do I need to do to be the best that I'm capable of? And, and of course, for me, that was just always in the performance realm. So it was always with, you know, trying to help them with their nutrition and their sleep and their rest and recovery and their strength and conditioning. I never specialized on the skill side, so I, I never taught the skills of basketball, but I always made sure to hammer home that they understood that the skills were incredibly important. But, but really, that's what it, it, it surfaced around. And, you know, many times it would be, you know, a, a kid here in the States wants to get a college scholarship. So, hey, my goal is to play college basketball. But that's just another way of saying, hey, how can I be the best I can be? Because that's the only way they'd be able to play college basketball is if they were the best they were capable of. Perfect answer. And one of the things that you talked about, you know, just in that answer, which kind of spills off and which I want to quickly talk about is where you talk about, you know, athletes who, you know, yes, they want to be the best that they can be. One of the things that I try to advise athletes on this side of the pond, you know, is this idea that they have that if I'm not number one, then it doesn't make sense for me to be killing myself in training. You know, so if I can't be the LeBron of basketball, if I can't be the Tom Brady of American football, then, you know, why do you expect me to train 10 hours a day? Why do you expect me to train on weekends? Why do you expect me to give 110%? What kind of answer 
would you have to those type of athletes who believe that it's number one or nothing? Because what I try to explain and tell them is that you need to be focused on the best that you can be. Success for every athlete is different. You know, so the things that LeBron wanted to achieve in his career might be different from the things that I wanted to achieve in my career. Not everyone likes the flashy lifestyle, the attention, the popularity. You know, so you just have those athletes, they get to go to the Olympics, they're great. They get to go to the world championships, they're great. What do you say to athletes who believe, you know, Number one or nothing. Well, I do my best to convince them that it, it serves them no purpose to play the comparison game, that this is not about are you better than someone else or are they better than you? It's about are you the best that you're capable of? But really the most important part to that question is, I mean, in my case, and I keep just referencing basketball because that was my world, but this is true for any sport or any activity. This would be the same for a soccer player. Uh, this would be the same for a, a jazz musician. This would be the same for someone that's a graphic designer. You should want to be the best because you love it. You absolutely love the sport and you love to play. So, uh, yes, training is always going to be challenging and difficult. But if you love the sport, then training 10 hours a day should not be punishment. That, that should be something that you'd want to be doing anyway. Again, that's not saying that it's going to be easy and, and you're not going to love every sprint and, and every repetition that you do, but you should want to be doing that. And, and to me, the guys that have ended up being the best, and we just, I'll just keep going back to the, the Tom Brady's and the Ronaldo's and the ones, you know, they love the sport. They love to play and they believe that they owe it to themselves. They owe it to their sport to be the best that they can be. So yeah, I, I don't believe in the number one or bust mentality. You know, with a lot of kids here in the States, um, you know, where you have the, the goal is to play a college sport and you've got division one, which is most of the schools that people have heard of. And then you've got division two, division three, and some other levels. You know, a lot of kids in the States have this mentality that, you know, if I can't play division one, then it's a bust. And, you know, that's, that's a very unfortunate mindset to have because even here in the States, playing a D2 or a D3 level college program still means you're in the upper 1% of players. I mean, you're still an elite level kid. And, and I know lots of players that have played Division three basketball here in the States and then gone on overseas to have magnificent careers and play professionally for 10 to 12 years, make a lot of money, live a great life. So I just think it's very dangerous anytime we let outside barometers determine our success. And if you're going to say that if I'm not the best, then what's it all for? I just think that's a very defeatist mentality and, and probably not the best mindset to have. One of the other things that I heard you talk about was, you know, your start in sports performance and how your focus was originally on the physical aspect, you know, so uh, getting the athlete stronger, getting the athlete bigger, you know, requiring the things that they would have needed to do in order to get to the point where they wanted to get to. And of course, the example with Kevin Durant comes in when he was 15, you know, came in to train with you. You absolutely hammered him, you know, in your own words. But later on, you began to realize that, look, there's something more than this uh, physical aspect. You know, the, the mental aspects are also key. They're also important. Kind of go, run me through that realization. How do you come to realize or see it from the perspective that, look, the mental aspects are just as important as the physical aspects? Yeah, and, and one could almost argue that they're more important than the physical aspects. Uh, still going back to kind of the, the talent and spectrum, I mean, you have to have a certain amount of physical talent just at the table just to play hand cards you have to have the physical talent there's always going to be a spectrum uh of 
of how much physical talent you have. And over time, I ended up realizing that there was there were four components and they almost built themselves if they were a pyramid. You know, the bottom component is the physical and that's your body. Uh, that's being able to move, you know, that's being big and strong and fast and quick and having a high hand-eye coordination and spatial awareness and balance. And that's the body. Uh, then the next level up is skill because we've all seen athletes in different sports that, that they can move really well and they can jump and they can run, but they don't have very much technical skill. I mean, sure. you know, if, if you can't dribble, shoot, pass, or rebound, it doesn't matter how high you can jump or how fast you can run. You're never going to be a very good basketball player if you can't do those skills. Mm. Uh, so the bottom layer is going to be your body. Then the next level up is going to be skill. Uh, then the next level up is going to be your IQ and, and your mental toughness. This is, this is where the brain comes in and the mind and the mindset. You know, if it's one thing to know how to make a bounce pass, it's another thing to know when to make a bounce pass. When is it the appropriate time and what angle do you need to make? So uh, then that would be the next level up. And then the highest level up to your, your heart and your motor and your grit and how much do you love to actually play? You know, so when you look at it from the bottom, you know, if, if everybody's got physical talent, then the next thing that can separate you is also having skill. And if you don't have skill, then there's a very low ceiling on how good you can be. Well, if you have physical talent and you have skill, uh, now the next separator is going to be your mind and your mindset. And how well do you understand the game? How much mental toughness do you have? Are you able to focus on the present moment and block out distractions? So that's the next level up. Then when you get to the elite where players have all three of those things, now it comes down to heart. You know, who wants it the most? Who has the most passion? Who loves the game the most? Who, you know, and, and the best players that we've ever seen in any sport are the ones that, that score off the charts in all four of those things. And the interesting part was, is that those things are so heavily weighted that if you were to flip that pyramid upside down, we all know players that have a lot of heart and they really understand the game. Maybe they don't have a tremendous amount of skill and maybe they're not that athletic, but they're still able to survive just based on the fact that they they play so hard and they understand the game. So, you know, a, a perfect example um, and I know this one's a little bit older. Some of your listeners may not know, but uh, a player like Larry Bird, you know, who, who played in the 80s and, and many people consider one of the best players of all time, really wasn't very athletic from a body standpoint, but he had a great heart. He had a, a very high basketball IQ and his skill level was off the charts. So he had the top three parts of the, even though the bottom, you know, he was probably less than average. And, and many people consider him a top five, if not a top 10 player in the history of the game. So it's important that we know that the body and the athleticism is only one component and those other things matter. Fantastic point. I like the way you put it with the pyramid, you know, and trying to arrange it, you know, so that it's clear for athletes to see and kind of understand. One of the things that you mentioned is the mental toughness aspects, the mindset aspects. Is it possible in your estimation, you know, all the athletes you've worked with, all of your experience, 15 years plus, is it possible for an athlete to succeed in sports without mental toughness? No, without question, it's not. And, and this, this can go with either definition of success. Uh, first of all, in order for them to be the best player that they're capable of, kind of the John Wooden definition of success, it's, I mean, it's vital that they have the mental component. Uh, but certainly, if we are going to play the comparison game and you're going to compare players of, you know, uh, in the same sport of who's better, 
the one that's mentally tougher will always come out on top. You know, that's, that's probably one of the only issues right now, you know, as you've got the great debate on is LeBron better than Jordan and, and people love having that chat. And almost every time that I have that discussion with someone, the person usually ends up saying they give Jordan the nod because he was a little mentally tougher, that he had a clear instinct and a will to win that was better than LeBron's. Because I don't think anyone would argue that LeBron's physical tools are just as, if not more impressive than Jordan's. I mean, his, his body size, his strength, all of the things he can do, even from a skill standpoint. I mean, LeBron... I mean, he's a phenomenal passer and defender and rebound. I mean, he can do it all. So really the only thing that I think would give Jordan the edge when you're having that debate is that maybe Jordan was a little bit more mentally tough. So, no, it would be impossible to succeed not only in sport, in anything. I don't, I don't believe you can succeed in business. I don't believe you could be a successful parent. I don't believe you could be a successful friend if you don't have a certain level of mental toughness. If it's that easy, if it's that straightforward in terms of, look, you don't have, because this is something that I say time and time and time again, you know, I say it every single time, every opportunity that I get, mental toughness is key because it was one of the things, you know, that majorly affected me in my career before I got injured, tore my ACL, because we all felt, and it's usually more prevalent on this side that, you know, all this mental crap, because you can't see, you know, for the physical side, you know, basketball, you can throw it, soccer, you can kick it, you know, if it's athletics, at least you're running, you know, but this mental thing is intangible you can't say if it's that straightforward why do you think that more young athletes don't actually focus on this well two things one uh, it is incredibly straightforward and from a premise standpoint it's very basic Hmm. but it's definitely not easy so I, i don't want i don't want your listeners to confuse basic with easy in fact i believe and this is just with my own personal experience that developing mental toughness is the hardest skill set without question it's much easier to go in and do a set of push-ups and a set of squats uh, than it is to train your mind to block out distractions and to stay focused on the present moment. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely not easy. Uh, and then the other thing is, you know, up until recently, it's always been very abstract. There's no one's really understood how to coach it or how to teach it. You know, coaches all over the world, you know, on your side of the pond and on mine are always yelling at players, you know, you need to be mentally tougher. And they just speak in these abstract ways, but they don't really know what that means. And they certainly don't know how to coach it or improve it. So for me, I've always gone by the definition that mental toughness is the ability to stay in the present moment, that that's what it means to be mentally tough. It has nothing to do with how much pain or discomfort you can tolerate. It has nothing to do with, you know, if I yell at you and scream obscenities and you don't cry, that means you're tough. It has nothing to do with any of that. It has to do with being able to block out all distractions, focus on your own attitude and your own effort, and only worry about the next play that's coming up. Just disregard whatever just happened. And by definition of mental toughness, that is something taught. Uh, it can be learned. It can be conditioned. Uh, and even with my three children, you know, I have uh, twin sons that will be turning nine next week. And I have a daughter that will be turning seven in June. And they're just starting off in their sports journey. They're not very serious about sports yet. But I talk to them about living present all of the time and I'm trying to teach them those skills because even if they choose not to play sports, living in the present moment is vital for happiness. It's vital for relationships. It's vital if you want to be an effective leader. Uh, it's vital for performance in any area of your life. So I think that's been the big problem is 
it's easy for a coach to go to some soccer players and say, okay, here's how you dribble. Here's how you kick. Here's how you shoot and teach them that. And they can see it. They can feel it. They touch it. They can taste it. It's much harder for a coach to be able to teach them how to live in the present moment. And that's probably why more players disregard it and, and don't think it, or they think mental toughness means something else. You know, uh, making a kid run sprints until they throw up, that has nothing to do with mental toughness. That, I mean, that's almost abuse. That has nothing to do with mental toughness. It's, it's the ability to live in the present moment. And I know, you know, I'm 43 years old, that being in the present moment is one of my biggest daily challenges. So uh, I'm mentally tougher now than I was a year ago. And I'd like to believe that if, if you and I talk again a year from now, I'll be even more mentally tough then. But I also don't think it's something that anyone masters. It's always going to go up and down. You know, you, you can see some times where Tom Brady was the most mentally tough player on the field and was able to, to pull off a 92-yard drive to win a Super Bowl. And then maybe there's other times where not so much. He, he has a moment of weakness or he's fallible because he's a human being. It's important for young athletes to understand, you know, this mental toughness thing, you know, how to approach it, you know, the way to actually view it. Because just like you said, yes, just because it seems very basic doesn't mean that it is easy. And that's one thing I tried to say. I said, look, because we break things down for you in ways that you can understand, in ways that you can apply, it doesn't by any means necessary mean that you're going to be able to do it in one day. You're going to be able to do it in two days. One of the other things that you talk about in the book, which, you know, I was more or less like, and how her moment for me in terms of, you know, how important it was, was the first thing in the player section where you talk about self-awareness. Now, I have this athlete maestro blueprint, which, you know, I kind of use to coach athletes, help athletes, you know, down the park. One of the things that you see with athletes on this side, and I assume that it might happen on your end as well, is this athletes, the first thing that they do is to always set the goal. So they come up and they say, this is what I want to do in my sport this is the kind of athlete I want to be, these are the things I want to achieve, and all of those things. Without saying first, being aware of where they are, or in my words, self-assessing where you currently are and the things that you need to do going from that point. Can you expand on that a little bit, you know, and the realization that you came with that athletes need to be more self-aware? I know you kind of expand on it in the book into other areas, you know, talking about the performance gap and all of that, but in terms of the basics of self-awareness, can you expand on that a little bit? Sure. Uh, All of us, regardless of sport or not, need to have a very clear uh, understanding of what things we're good at and what things we're not, where our strengths are and where our weaknesses are. What things do we like? What things do we not like? Um, What things are we passionate about? What things are we not passionate about? It's so important to know all of these things uh, because in order to be elite in anything, we've got to have everything lined up and everything's got to be in alignment and working in harmony. You know, so uh, no matter how bad you want to be good at something, if you're not particularly talented in that area or those aren't your strengths, that's just going to make it that much harder. You know, I mean, you can want to be a world-class singer all you want, but if you don't really have a natural affinity and you're not very musically inclined and you don't have a very good voice, it's going to make it much, much more difficult to be able to succeed in that. Um, And same thing in sport. You know, I mean, when you, you look at at certain players, you know, and what things they do well on the court, the ones that have learned to embrace the things they do well and really double down on those and specialize in those are the ones that end up being world-class. And then, you know, same thing from a weaknesses standpoint. I mean, when we're talking about performance, just performance, 
we want to make sure that we're maximizing our strengths and we're minimizing or hiding our weaknesses. I mean, that's the key to being successful and that's the key to winning from a performance standpoint. Now, clearly, there are times where we have to work on our applicable weaknesses and we have to tighten those things up, uh, but those are something that we do during the, the unseen hours. But it all starts with, as you just mentioned, a self-assessment. I mean, if you don't know what you're very good at and you don't know what you love doing, then you can't really find that strength zone. And that's where those two things intersect. Where we're good and where we, we're passionate, we want to find where those two things crisscross. And that's, that's where we have the best chance of being successful. And, you know, the, the analogy I use all the time in basketball is, you know, players are going to take bad shots. Like that's just a part of the game, especially young players. They're just learning the game. They don't always know, you know, immediately what's a good shot and what's not. But the player that takes a bad shot, that's not the one that a coach should worry about. It's the player that takes a bad shot and has no idea that it was a bad shot. That's the one that's a problem because that player is completely unaware. And because they're unaware, that means they'll take that shot again and again and again. You know, if, if you take a bad shot, and I'm your coach, and you look over to me and, and kind of pat your chest and say, my bad coach, then at least I know that you recognize it was a bad shot and you learn from it, and that's okay. We all move on. But if you don't know that it was a bad shot, then you're probably going to do it again next time, and that's when we have a problem. So self-awareness uh, has to be the starting point because there's, there's no way uh, you can get where you're going without knowing that. And same thing when we, we talk about like directions, which I know now, at least here in the States, we're all so used to having GPS on our phone that you can just type in an address and go there. But, you know, in order to, to go somewhere, whether it's a goal or it's a destination of a physical address, you not only need to know where you're going, you also need to know where you are. Because oh. if right now, if, if you tell me that if you want to go to Chicago, well, the directions are going to be different if you're in Los Angeles than they are if you're in DC exactly. and they're going to be even more different than if you're in West Africa right now. So exactly. the destination might be the same, but the journey is going to be different. The directions are going to be different because you're coming from somewhere different. Uh, you took that right out of my mouth because one of the things I always tell the athletes, I said, look, you know, or you have an idea of where you're going. Nobody's disputing that. Nobody's disputing the destination, what you want to do, how you want to do it, all of that. But you see, if you do not understand first and foremost, where you are, then it's going to be difficult. You know, so someone wants to come visit me. Say I'm in the States, for example, I want to visit you, Alan, you know, and I tell you, you know, I'm coming to visit you and you ask me, okay, where are you now? So I can direct you from either the train station or the bus station. And I'm like, I have no idea where I am, but I still want you to direct me to come to your house. I still right. want you. I mean, you're the one living where you are. So why don't you tell me how I can get there? You know, how absurd, you know, and pretty annoying would I be if I'm making such demands on you without knowing first where I am? Absolutely. And the funny thing, the destinations, the easier of the two to figure out, you know, especially if, if you haven't visited the States very often and you come over here, you're probably not as familiar with where you are. You might be a little bit confused. You might not know exactly where you are, which is totally understandable. I've never been to West Africa. So I know that if I came to visit you, uh, that I would feel somewhat lost. The goal of, I want to go to Alan's house or I want to be the best basketball player. That's the easy part. The hard part is figuring out where in the hell am I right now? Exactly. Where am I? I'm lost. I don't know where I am. And that's the hardest part to figure out. And, and that's the most important part to figure out. And yet that happens to be the step that most people just skip over. They think just having that North Star and having that goal uh, is all that they need. And that's only one of the two points. 
And of course, you know, they, they, that old adage that, uh, you know, the shortest distance between two points is a straight line. Mm. And of course, nothing works perfectly in a straight line, but you have to have those two points. There's no way you can get there without knowing the point that you're at right now. Now, one of the things that you talked about, I actually want to talk about um, focusing on the basics first, but you mentioned the unseen hours. Now, one of the things that um, at least I have seen on this side of things is with young athletes believing that it's only when someone is watching, you know, that's when I need to be paying attention. That's when I need to be training. That's when I need to be giving it my all. But you see, the way I grew up, you know, in terms of playing my sport, you know, was even the times when nobody, because we had this garden, you know, in our compound, you know, over here in Lagos and, you know, every single opportunity that I got, you know, I'll be there, I'll be playing, I'll be kicking things. You know, I could be watching a football match, for example, you know, just like the games that are going on now, you know, I will see someone do a particular skill. And then the next thing that comes to my mind is to get my boots, get the ball, go into the garden, see if I can perfect that skill. But you don't find many athletes who focus on the unseen hours. And I know you talk about the Steph Curry example, you know, and the things that he does in that regard. How important is it for young athletes to focus on the unseen hours, the times when people are not watching you, people are not seeing you, or at least you think they aren't? It's vital. And, and it's important that, that athletes understand that most hours are unseen hours. Mm. I, mean, I mean, if you think, uh, let's just say you have a match tonight or a game tonight. Okay, well, people are going to be watching you for two hours. That means for the 22 hours before that, I'm watching you in theory. So, I mean, I don't know what the exact percentage is, but I would imagine that for most athletes, especially non-famous athletes that don't have people following them everywhere, uh, most of your hours are unseen. And uh, the key is treating those hours as if someone was watching you. You know, that was kind of a mental trick that I always tried to play on myself, but I've always shared with players. You know, I would ask a basketball player, you know, it says of high school age and say, okay, uh, who is your favorite coach in the world? And, and of course, you're going to get different answers. You know, some might yeah. say Coach K, some might say Jay Wright, some might say Shaka Smart, uh, whoever. Um, and I'd say, okay, if they were sitting in the gym right now and they were watching you work out, would you be going harder than you are now? Hmm. And, and if they're being honest, they'd say, well, yeah, of course. You know, would you, would you have a better attitude? Would you have more enthusiasm? Would you be more precise in your footwork? Would you be doing everything right now better if Coach K was sitting, you know, five rows away in the bleachers watching you? Hmm. And if they're being honest, the answer is yes. So then I say, okay, well, he's probably not going to come to your workout today. You know that. But why not pretend that he's here? Why not act as if he was here watching or whoever? It doesn't even have to be him. Act as if someone is watching you at all times. And then you don't really have to turn it on and turn it off when you feel like it. You'll always be on. You'll always be giving your best effort. And of course, it's, it's impossible to completely mimic that. I mean, there's no question that every player in the history of the world will always play a little bit harder and go a little faster and stronger when someone's watching them. I mean, generally speaking, even the elite of the elite probably go at least one or 2% harder during a game than they go during practice. And they go a little bit harder in practice than they do when they're by themselves working out. Uh, yeah. But the key is for the really elite players, that, that percentage is very minimal, that they do the hardest work that they can do regardless of whether someone's watching. And since most of our hours are unseen, those are the ones that end up determining what type of player we are. You know, so if, if you're not putting in the work during the unseen hours, there's no way that you'll be as successful as you're capable of 
when the lights do come on and the cameras do start rolling. And, and you know, so the unseen hours are absolutely vital. Uh, great, great illustration, you know, and I feel like, you know, even on that topic alone, you know, we can go on for hours in terms of breaking it down, but obviously I have to be mindful of your time and, you know, just, you know, sharing all of this, your nuggets with us. Now, one of the things I want to talk about, you know, just before I wrap up, you know, so I don't take your old Sunday, you know, is this focusing on the basics thing. Now you also talk about, and it's prevalent on this side as well. You know, you see all these young athletes who they want to dunk like LeBron. You know, they want to be like maybe Vince Carter or Kevin Durant, whoever it is, or, you know, just like you say, you know, they want to shoot half court shots the way Steph Curry does. But what they don't know, what they don't focus on are those little basics. So everyone wants to be the star. They want to be the highlight reel. But the question is, can they focus on the basics? What was your realization of those basics and the need to focus on it? Was it from working with Kevin Durant? Was it from seeing Kobe train? How did you come to that realization? It was a combination of all of that. It was any, any elite performer that I've been around has always embraced and respected and trusted the basics. And, you know, we could use the, the same example with a house. You know, if you want a, a huge mansion, 20 bedrooms, five bathrooms, like the, the nicest mansion you see on TV all the time well you can only have that nice house if you build a really strong foundation like you have to lay the concrete down first in order to even give that house a chance because if you don't lay that foundation and you try to build this beautiful house uh, it's going to come crumbling down over time you know the 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 earth will slightly shift and and maybe there's a um, some type of natural disaster so maybe there's some type of, of earthquake or hurricane and it won't survive because it wasn't built on a strong foundation. So there's nothing wrong with a kid wanting to dunk like LeBron or a kid wanting to shoot, you know, three pointers like Steph Curry. That, that's okay. I mean, I, I, would, I would want to do that if I was a teenager now. But what they need to understand is the best way for them to be able to do those things eventually is if they start with the basics and they master the basics first. And then just like they're climbing up a ladder step by step, they'll earn the right to be able to do those things. Uh, that's the biggest mistake players make. Mm. They turn on a game, they see Steph Curry, you know, dribble between his legs five times and shoot a three-pointer with a guy in his face. And then they immediately want to run to the gym and mimic that. And that's where the problem is because they're, they're skipping over the fact that Steph has already mastered the 50 steps below that mm. to get to that point. And that first he has to be able to have good footwork and balance. And then once you have good footwork and balance, then you can add this. And then once you have footwork and balance and you add this, then you can add that. And then mm. you just slowly start to build. But unfortunately, they're, they're kind of disrespecting the game and disrespecting the process when they try to skip all of those things and just go do that. And, and I don't say that with any judgment. I mean, I'm 43, so I grew up watching Michael Jordan. And you better believe that I would watch Michael Jordan, you know, do a 12-foot fadeaway with a guy in his face and make it. And I would run out to my front yard and my driveway, and I would immediately do the fadeaway. And I just hadn't earned the right to be able to do that. So uh, I have high empathy for the players that, that kind of try to skip steps, because I know that I did it as a player as well. But can look back with certainty and say that is a grave mistake that if I would have gone out and instead of working on fadeaways for an hour I would have gone out and worked on the basics for an hour then maybe I would have been able to work my way doing a shot similar to that what in your estimation 
do you think it takes to be a master of your craft? The reason why I named uh, the podcast Athlete Maestro, you know, was just like to try to get young athletes to understand that, you know, just chasing that mastery, you know, trying to be the best that you can be in terms of skill, basics, just like you mentioned, the mental elements of the game. What in your estimation does it take to be a master of your craft? Purposeful practice plus consistency. That's it. And, and that is very basic, but of course, that is not easy to do. Uh, purposeful practice, intentional repetition after repetition after repetition of whatever you're trying to get good at, and you have to do that consistently. Not for days, not for weeks, not for months, but for years and years, and in many cases, decades. And, you know, that's why, you know, I mean, LeBron, I feel like – He's in his 16th or 17th season right now. I forget. I think he came out in 2003. So we're 2019. So 16 years, somewhere in that ballpark. And I mean, he's gotten better every single year. I mean, he's, he's just now getting to the point where he's starting to master certain things. And he's been playing the game since he was four or five years old. So this, this thought that someone's going to master a sport by the time they're 15 or 16, it just, there's just not enough time to get in the purpose. Now, of course, by 15 or 16, you can show immense talent and you can have made great progress and you can be really good. There's no question about that. But mastery takes a long, long time. You know, I mean, I'm uh, I'm a professional speaker by trade. This is what I get paid for is speaking to groups. And, you know, I'm a better speaker today than I was a year ago, but I am far from mastering my I mean, I'm, I'm going to keep on my craft and, and getting in reps and being in front of audiences and watching tape of myself. I mean, I'm going to have to do this for decades longer before I'd even approach getting to the point where I feel like I've mastered it or I'm pretty elite at this. And, and, and that's okay. I enjoy the journey. You know, um, I have a couple talks that I'll give this week and I'll be very prepared for them and I will do the best that I'm capable of but I know that I haven't mastered this yet and and that's okay. To me, that's where the fun lies is the pursuit of mastery. It's not even really a destination that anyone should worry about actually reaching. It should simply be the pursuit of mastery is where you get the enjoyment. And, you know, it's kind of crazy because I look back on some talks I gave even a year ago and sometimes I look at them and and just kind of scratch my head and, and, and my stomach turns a little bit. And I'm like, man, that, that was not very good. But that's not very good by today's standard. At the time, it was the best that I was capable of. And, and this sounds kind of funny to say, but I, I'm giving a talk here locally in D.C. on Thursday. I hope that a year from now, I on the talk I'm about to give and I hope I go, man, that was not very good. Uh, because that means I will have improved so much in the next year that by comparison, the talk I'm about to give won't seem very good. And yet at this moment in time, I hope that the talk I give this coming Thursday is the best talk that I've ever given in my life. That's the goal every time I go out. So it's, it's pretty neat relationship. So with that, uh, I've learned to give myself some grace and compassion. You know, when I look at a talk I did two years ago, even if I don't think it's very good now, I don't beat myself up over it. Because once again, at that point in time, it was the best that I was capable of doing. And I have to honor that and own that. And, you know, I would say the same thing to athletes. Be more concerned with the pursuit of mastery than you are with actually mastering it. Oh, yeah, of course. Now, um, this episode will probably air, you know, a few weeks from now. And that will be episode 300 and something because I'm past 300 episodes now on the podcast. You know, when I listen to maybe like the first 100 or maybe the first 150 episodes of the podcast, you know, I'm actually upset. I actually feel like, you know, I should... (laughs) 
I actually feel like I should go back and delete those episodes or re-record them so that when people, you know, start listening from the beginning or maybe they want to binge listen, you know, they don't get to hear that crappy part, you know, where, you know, my thoughts are not put together, you know, or I sound like a novice and things like that. Yep. But just like you said, you know, I've come to the realization that if you are improving, if you're getting better, that is the sign that you understand the process of what you're supposed to be doing. So I didn't sound this crisp when I started out. You know, I didn't sound right. this put together, you know, having all these great questions to ask. But because I've been doing it time and time and time and time again, and I've continued to put in the effort, now I can say I'm getting to a point where I'm good at it. And like you said, next year, maybe at 500 yes. something episodes or whatever it is, I should be able to look back and say, wow, that episode I did with Alan, I want to redo it because, you know, I feel like I'm so much better at this. So I completely, I completely get the points and it makes a lot of sense. I was going to say, please don't go back and delete those and please don't <laughs> go back and change them because to me, that's so important. And I, I love your humility in sharing that. And in fact, that's the best compliment you could receive would be if someone listened to your first episode and then they listened to this one and said, man, you have gotten so much better. Um, that's the best compliment they could give you. And, yeah. and I would hope that, that maybe you send me an email and you want me to be guest number 500 and I come back for number 500 and both of us will be better than, than we are right now. And that's, that's, that should always be the goal. And it's funny because I, I gave a talk in Charlotte, North Carolina, uh, last week and a young lady came up to me after and she said, you spoke at my company, you know, here a year and a half ago. And I thought back and I remembered it. Mm. And she said, man, you're so much better now. And, and of course, I felt the same way that you felt that I was like, oh, man, does that mean I sucked then? And no, it didn't. Because if I remember correctly, I got good feedback then. It means she recognized that I've worked on my craft and I've gotten better. And that's all that we can ask for. Uh, the worst thing someone could say was, I saw you a year and a half ago. Well, you were better then. Yeah. <laughs> or if someone listens to your first episode and goes, man, what happened with your episode with Alan? Your first episode was way better than your one with Alan. Yeah, we don't want to be going in that direction. So take a lot of pride in the fact that, that you've gotten better. And, and I will say, uh, having done podcasts a lot myself, you know, over 300 episodes is really, really remarkable and admirable. So, so keep up your great work. Uh, thanks. Thanks for that, Alan. Now, there's so much information out there for young athletes. You know, just like we've talked about on this episode, you know, there's mental toughness, there's a the physical aspects, you know, all of these things that you should focus on. Now, if there's an athlete that comes to you today, Alan, and says, you know, what is one thing that I can do to get a step closer to my goal. So, you know, I don't want you to give me 10 things. I don't want you to give me a hundred things. I just want you to give me one thing that I can do today that gets me a step closer to my goals. What's that one thing that you mentioned, Alan? Well, first of all, what's funny is my, the advice I would give them is actually the way that you just framed it. So uh, I wouldn't necessarily tell them what their one thing is. That's something they need to figure out. And that goes back to the self-awareness. Um, but what you just framed it was so perfect because that's the mindset that every one of us should have every day when we wake up is what is the thing that I can do today that gets me a little bit closer to my goal? So I have a goal of doing X by 22. I don't have to worry about 2022. It's 2019 right now. All I have to worry about is what's one thing that I can do today that will get me a little bit closer. And if you can ask yourself that every single morning when you wake up, what is the one thing I need to do today? And every night before you go to bed, you can say that you did that one thing. 
then over time, that's where the consistency part comes in. You'll be inching closer and closer. And I, I would imagine, certainly can't make any guarantees or promises, uh, but I would imagine that if someone can wake up every day and ask that question and go to bed every night having answered that question with a resounding yes, there are very few goals that you can't achieve. Uh, and there's, you know, there are very few outcomes that you won't get if you do that. Uh, the problem is most people treat it the way kids in the States here treat, you know, homework assignments that they were given two months ago. They wake up the night, the night before or the day of the project and say, I've got to do it now because I didn't do anything for the last two months. You know, if they would have done a little bit each night, then they would be ready. You know, the, the project would be done. So uh, the way you just framed that, any player that came to me and said it that way, I would give them a huge high five or a fist bump because they're already on their way to, to being successful. Now they just have to figure out what that one thing is to do. And it will always, it will change. It's not going to be the same thing every single day, but what is the, what is it that you need to do today? And that's the most important question we can ever ask ourselves. One of the things I was most impressed about, just as we wrap up, Alan, you know, I, need, I think you need to see the book that I have in front of me, you know, and I have all sorts of things scribbled, both from, you know, reading your book as well, from all the things that you've shared today, you know, but I kind of like just have to condense a little bit. Was it like working with Victor Oladipo? Because, you know, I, I kind of like saw his progress. You know, I, I can't remember if it was the end of last season or the previous season where the Indiana Pacers were knocked out of the playoffs, I think either by LeBron or someone, you know, and immediately... It talks about preparing for the next season, you know, so not, you know, going to party, going for a holiday, you know, or like most athletes will say, oh, I need to take a break. I need to rest. It's been a long season. You know, maybe I'm disappointed how things ended right now. He immediately was talking about preparing for the next season, getting back into the gym and going to work. Victor will always be one of my favorite that I had a chance to work with. And uh, we, we crossed paths formally very briefly because I got to DeMatha his senior year. So when he, he was leaving, um, oh. but he came in, uh, one of the reasons I knew he was such an incredible young man was after he had, you know, the basketball season was over. So he's a senior, which means he doesn't have to come to the offseason basketball stuff because he's not a returning player, uh, but he chose to come to those workouts. And those workouts happened to be at six in the morning before school would start. So there, there's not very many players that would come to an optional workout at six in the morning before school started when they had a full scholarship to play basketball the next year. So I knew he was going to be remarkable. And he, he was always very coachable and incredibly humble. Um, so yeah, I, I just, I love his mindset. And of course now he has a major setback because he he's out for the season with uh, the leg injury. An injury yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I have no doubt that he'll be able to come back even better and stronger than he was before. I mean, he was making such great momentum with the Pacers. You know, he's an all-star level player. Uh, and this is just another setback. And, and he'll approach it with that same mentality. Uh, I'm guaranteeing, you know, I guess his goal now is to get back in game shape to play for the Pacers. So yeah. if I know Victor, I know he's waking up every morning going, what do I need to do today to get me a little bit closer to being back out on the court. And I know that he'll do those things. So uh, he's, he's really, really just a remarkable, remarkable young man. Uh, great, great reviews because he's Nigerian as well, which is why I follow him and try to see all the great things, you know, that he's doing there as well. Alan, I want to acknowledge you for the great things that you're doing, you know, the kind of work that you're putting out there. It's not, it's not easy, you know, just like you said, in terms of writing your book and, you know, putting out all this knowledge that you have, you know, if I've worked with, if I've had the opportunity to see Kobe train, if I've had the opportunity to work with Kevin Durant, you know, not many people 
I've had that opportunity. Not many people would be in that position. So if I have the opportunity to condense what I've learned from them, what I've taken from them, you know, put it in a book or put it out there so that people at least vicariously have that experience of seeing these guys train or how it is that they train, you know, so that they can take the lessons and put all of that out there. You know, I want to acknowledge you for that great work, the continued work that you do, the dedication that you put in. You know, you, you're someone that inspires me, which is why I was actually, you know, I said, let me reach out to you. You know, I don't know if you respond, you know, but I was glad that you did. And I'm glad that we've had this conversation. And of course, I look forward to seeing more of your work out there and more of the great things that you're looking to put out. Oh, I appreciate that so much. And I'll say kind of a, a short story that just connects and shows everyone how small the world is. Uh, my first year at Montrose Christian High School, which is where Kevin Durant ended from, uh, my first year, uh, we had three players from Lagos. Uh, mm. a Churchill Hodia, who ended up playing at Xavier. Uh, Uche Echafu, who played at Florida State. And Tunjay Soroye, who played at uh, Virginia. And three of the best kids that I've ever met. I mean, they all went on to have really good college careers. And I believe all three played professionally overseas after. I don't think any of them ended up in the NBA. Um, but, But were just wonderful, wonderful young men. And, I mean, they came here straight from Lagos. I mean, it's not like they came to the States and went to elementary school and then went... They literally came here and got off the plane and, and started school at Montrose and were just three remarkable young men. Um, they put just as much effort uh, into their schoolwork and into learning English uh, because back then English was not near as prevalent you know, in Lagos as much as it is today. So uh, they acclimated. They were three of the most coachable kids uh, I've ever worked with um, and, and just absolute leaders and, and workhorses in every capacity. So uh, that was kind of my first introduction uh, to, to, I guess, your world and my world. And, and it was a really, really positive one. Oh, great. I mean, it's, it's, it's so nice to see that, you know, you have worked with some of those guys. I had the privilege, of course, to interact with them, which makes it um, all the more nice that me and you are having this chat today. And, you know, there's so much more that we could talk about. And hopefully, uh, depending on your schedule, I know you're extremely, extremely busy. Maybe when I'm in the States or maybe when we have another opportunity to do this, you know, just to talk about more of the things that you break down in the book. So which maybe might be like a part two if you want to call it that, because I feel like there's so much nuggets in there, so many things that we can share, so many things that young athletes can learn from it as well. And of course, I'm excited to also give away those copies of your books as well. Oh, I love that. And, and I know that that's the thing. It, it's harder to get the physical copies uh, where you are now and, and just depending on what resources players have. Uh, but hopefully, you know, they can always download the electronic version uh, on Kindle or tablet or the, you know, uh, iPhone, uh, or they can also get the audio version. You know, it's kind of funny here in the States, um, even all of the high school kids that I tell to read, they're like, we don't like reading books. We'd rather <laughs> listen to it and put our headphones on. Uh, so they all go to audible.com and end up downloading it, um, which is just fine. I mean, really, you know, that's the thing about coaching. It doesn't matter to me how they consume the information. It just matters that they consume the information. So um, I would, you know, if, if anyone listening to this has an opportunity to get the audio book or to get the ebook, it's the same as reading it. I mean, it's all the exact same stuff. And then more importantly than reading or listening to it, that's only the very first step. More importantly is actually putting stuff into action and doing it. You know, uh, most people will acknowledge that if you buy a book and you put it on your bookshelf and you never read it, then it doesn't do anything for you, obviously. Well, if you read a book, 
but you don't change any of your behavior and you don't do anything the book says, then once again, it's also useless. So uh, not only do I want people to read the book because I do believe it will help them, I want them to you know, actually implement the stuff that they read or listen to. Uh, great point, great point, Alan. Is there any final thing uh, that you want to share with us here? Because I feel like we could go on for hours. No, we sure could. No, this has been wonderful. Uh, it's a real pleasure to connect with you. Uh, I really admire and respect the work that you've done. And yeah, uh, when this is going to air, I certainly hope you share the link with me and I'll share it to my audience and we'll try to connect our two worlds even further. Uh, definitely, I will. Thank you so much, Alan. So I hope you guys learned a lot from that episode. Of course, it was way back in 2018 or thereabout, I believe. So three years ago now, you know, and um, it was such a power-packed episode. Learned a lot from Alan and, of course, all the things that he was able to share. Head over to the website, athletemanshow.com. Check out all the free and paid resources that we have for you there. And, of course, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast so that you don't miss episodes like this. That's the reason why I'm doing the Selects Edition, so that you don't miss episodes like this. Then head over to athletemanshow.com forward slash subscribe. So you learn how to subscribe. You'll also learn how to leave a rating and review. And, of course, I want to hear from you. What do you think about this kind of segment of the show, the Selects Edition, where I go back and play past episodes of the show bring them back for you so in case you missed it in case you've forgotten about it you can hear it either for the first time or hear it again send me a mail tola at athletemaestro.com tola at athletemaestro.com i want to hear your thoughts on what you think about the selects edition of the show i'll catch you guys on the next episode of the show remember knowing it's not enough you must apply willing is not enough you must do want you to go out there apply all the lessons you've learned from alan stein jr I just go out there and I want you to be a maestro today and every single day.